It's always soccer in Philadelphia, even when the national team plays like shit and eliminates themselves from World Cup contention for the first time in three decades. Good to be with you, Kevin Kincaid, and I'm joined uh, tonight on this emergency edition of the podcast by my Crossing Broad colleague, Mr. Russell Joy. Russ, how you feel, man? Uh, I have had 24 hours almost to uh, digest what we went through last night, and uh, I went through probably seven stages of, uh, of depression. And at this point, I've uh, developed from the numbness that I felt this morning on Crossing Broadcast. Uh, I've gone through anger, and now I'm kind of back to apathy, which is bad. <laughs> You've run the gamut of uh, emotions in one day. Well, listen, I don't really have a plan or anything, so we're just going to freestyle this. I wrote a story for Crossing Broad today that did pretty good, so I'm going to reference that a little bit. But I'm going to toss it up to you first. Twenty-four, Well, less than 24 hours after the win. Uh, where are we right now? I think we are at a... Uh at what should be a turning point in U.S. soccer. Um, I was hoping to see a resignation of uh, Sunil Galati today, which, uh, as of recording, I don't believe has happened. No. Um, I, I have to say that last night, after seeing the quote from Bruce Arena, that, that uh, something to the effect of no massive overhaul is needed, uh, that they shouldn't panic, uh, that's about as tone deaf of a statement as I think you could possibly have. And if U.S. soccer is going to take any of that of, of Bruce Arena's input at this point to to, uh, to heart, I think they're going to be doing a vast disservice to the fans of soccer in this country. I saw somebody tweet yesterday that uh, in 90 minutes, this U.S. men's national team has put the game back 30 years. Um, it, I don't think it can be overstated how how uh, terrible they played, how lackadaisical the effort was, or even non-existent the effort was, and. For people like me who have been trying to, uh, and, and you for that matter, who have been trying to get people who are not soccer fans to start to buy in, to watch the lack of effort those guys did. I mean, I, I think the U.S. Soccer Federation put more into criticizing the Trinidad and Tobago field <laughs> than uh, their players did into uh you know, actually executing a game plan. Yeah, it was like karma. You know, I, I'm, I'm appalled at just how unprepared they looked when they came out on the field you know it's almost like they knew that they only had a three percent chance to not go to the world cup and they were just sort of half-assing their way through it and that's on that's on the players obviously but that's on bruce arena first and foremost i don't i've seen better efforts at uh, northern liberty's tuesday night futsal it was embarrassing you know i play harder when i go to Starfinder for uh noon noontime pickup you know i can't believe that they were not at all ready to play and that they just fucking dogged it all the way through that game um, and for Bruce, like you said, to come out afterwards and say, well, we don't really have to do anything. That nonchalance, you know, that's always how he's been. I get it. You know, he's kind of always had that attitude. But, dude, uh, you just, like you said, set, set U.S. soccer back a long time. It's not, now it's not the time for, for little quips and everybody to calm down kind of thing. I mean, like, this, this is – I don't think anybody realizes how significant it is. I mean, how the hell am I going to explain to the average 4-for-4 four four Philadelphia fan next year why we're not there, you know? Yeah, and, and like, I, I guess to take it even a step further, you know um, – this, this loss and this inability to advance to the World Cup, um, it tarnishes Bruce Arena's legacy. Like, it, it absolutely has to. And I, I can't believe that, like, I, I get that he's a laid-back guy. He was, he was an L.A., you know, an L.A. guy, Galaxy guy. But, like, there's no excuse for coming out with anything other than the Omar Gonzalez route of apologizing to the fans. Yeah. Like, how, how dare you try to stand on a soapbox and, and try to calm the masses. You, you have no right. And you should, like I said before, have no input in what happens going forward. This needs to be a, a massive overhaul to the system. If this isn't a wake-up call 
U.S. soccer. I don't know what will be. Uh, Tannewald, I saw earlier this morning, had tweeted, uh, or he had, he had uh, quoted someone's tweet, I guess who sits on, on the board of U.S. soccer, saying that waking up this morning to a 2 and it was uh, Donna Shalala. Yeah. So this morning, 2 one is unacceptable for us in U.S. soccer, more than a wake-up call, time for a revolution, sounding like Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I need a long-term plan that is smart. Couldn't agree more. That's, that is what U.S. soccer needs. Yeah, Donna Shalala was the was a person. Yeah, she used to be at the University of Miami uh, for a, for a while. I think she was like the athletic director or something there, but um, or like the president or some kind of shit. I can't remember. But okay, look. So for the story I did for the site, you know, I came up with eight things. That I basically just took all the hot takes and the knee jerk reaction that everybody had last night, just kind of cobbled it together and addressed them one by one. So I'm going to go down the list here and I'm going to say my piece and then I'll I'll throw it over to you. All right. Okay. Number one, uh, MLS is to blame for the decline of the national team. Uh, Yes and no. I mean, people are off base here. They think that because Michael Bradley and Clint Dempsey and Tim Howard came back to MLS that they that they're dog shit all of a sudden. Well, no. I mean, their primes are past them. Sure, they also got older. You know, Michael Bradley took the money and he came back when he probably could have played overseas. Still, sure. But MLS is also making teams like Panama and Trinidad and Honduras and Costa Rica better. I mean, three of the goal, all three goals scored in the uh, Costa Rica Panama game last night were uh, scored by MLS players. You know. And in the Mexico game, Carlos Vela scores. He's coming to LAFC next year. So it's not, you know, we're in this kind of weird purgatory right now where what's best for MLS isn't necessarily best for United States soccer and vice versa. You know, if our best athletes stay in MLS, yes, the league gets better, but they don't play against the best competition in the world. And if guys like Christian Pulisic go to Germany, they play against the best competition in the world. But, you know, we don't get to see them on our shores all the time. So it's just kind of this catch-22 where we're kind of in between it right now. You know, it's kind of a balancing act of, like, finding, you know, how many MLS guys do we need, how many foreign guys do we need, is our league good enough yet uh, to get us over the hump without relying on the Polisics and the Bobby Woods and just, just strictly foreign players? Yep, for sure. And, like, the, the argument that, that I know plenty of people, you know, took Jurgen to task on was that he might have been overlooking homegrown guys in order to, to woo the German dual citizens to play for the team. And then Bruce Arena had, had been a guy who was outspoken in his belief uh, that, that those guys weren't a necessity, almost that, you know, we should be able to have homegrown guys take those spots. And, and like, I, I think in the aftermath of it, like, I, I'm, I was a big fan of the initial signing of Jurgen to, to lead this team into the future. And I think a lot of the dual citizen guys that he got, those, the, the Germans, like the Jermaine Jones of the world, John Brooks, like, yeah. they, they're, they're good players. And, and if you're going to cut off that entire group, I mean, I don't think it can be understated how inept the U.S. Soccer Federation has been in getting uh, dual internationals or getting, you know, guys of uh, Central America, Latin America, the Caribbean, South America, getting some of those guys, um, you know, who might be dual nationals to be able to, to draw them to the national team. You know, it shouldn't have to be a guy like Jurgen pulling German, German dual citizens, if that makes sense. Like, I, yeah. There's such an untapped group, and and uh, I think you tweeted it this morning. Like, there are kids that are playing right now in the parks in and outside of Philadelphia who are more likely to make an impact as dynamic uh, generational talent than than kids who are paying you know seventeen hundred bucks a year to go play on like a third tier U twelve yeah. team. Well, let me let me um, let me jump to that one then because that was like number four on the thing here. You know, the idea that these independent youth youth clubs are, are ruining development. It's not that anybody's ruining development. It's that development in this country is very fractured. You know, it's the same as the MLS and U.S. soccer thing. You know, what's best for FC Continental 
you know, out in Downingtown or wherever the hell they are now is not necessarily what's best for the Philadelphia Union Academy, you know? So you have these clubs that have existed for forever. Uh, all of a sudden, the Philadelphia Union come in and say, hey, we want your best players to play for our academy. And FC Delco says, fuck you. You know, why should we do that? You know, now, if there was some kind of compensation going both ways that says, look, we're going to take your player. We'd like him to be a pro. We will send you this money. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is that it's always, like you said, you know, it's still a support uh, sport of white suburban kids you know i mean i reffed enough games to know that it's just you know you pay to play you bring your kid to the tournament in, in the middle of nowhere in new jersey um you know then maybe they stop playing or they go to college and then they turn pro and they're 23 you know it's it's not we need to be identifying these kids younger we need to be getting into the urban neighborhoods when i reffed at so five it was brazilian dudes and dudes from uzbekistan and dudes from jamaica and Afri Africans, not African-Americans, but like Africans who just got here, you know, and tapping in all these guys. I mean, it's a Derek Jones story, isn't it? Uh, you know, a 14 kid who came over here at age 14 and was found with junior Lone Star only because they were playing against the union. I mean, you, your catchment area is huge. You got to identify all these kids and you got to start them early. But the problem, too, is that it's a cultural thing. You know, not everybody wants to be a one sport athlete and not all parents believe in the academy model. You know, I played football, basketball, baseball, wrestling whatever sport, you name it, tennis growing up, right? Um, I don't know if I would want my kid to just play soccer and be in an academy where that's all he does, but that's the reality of how other countries are doing it, and that's how you produce the Lionel Messi's of this world, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it is an issue. I, you know, I, I've coached before, I've refed before, and, and you're exactly right. Like the, I think one of the biggest issues that we run into, at least even with club teams, like you know this from refing, but like the entitlement factor of of the current generation, in a in a sense, um, they they're wearing a club jersey with a crest on it. They are kind of unaware of the level at which they're playing within their club team. They just see that they get to wear a club jersey, and all of a sudden, they think that they're supposed to be getting you know veteran calls. Uh, it's it's like a really strange dynamic. You know, some of these other countries, like the Honduras of the world, the Trinidad and Tobago of the world, like they're not looking for the entitled call. They're they're looking to outwork you at every every uh, quarter of the game. And so uh, until that mentality changes within U.S. soccer, at the club level, youth level, school ball, whatever you want it to be, until we get out of this entitlement kind of mindset, uh, I don't I don't know what the, the next support is and, and if it can even be successful. Yeah. You know, another thing is that people say, well, you know, if only our best athletes played soccer. And I mean, yeah, of course there's something to that. Look, if Odell Beckham Jr. had stuck with soccer, if Kobe, Kobe Bryant had played soccer and instead of, you know, deciding on basketball, then yeah, there'd be great athletes there. But here's the thing. This country has 300 million people in it. Okay. We got enough people that we can be really, really good at basketball, really, really good at football, really, really good at swimming and really good at soccer at the same time. There's enough people there. Look, if, if Iceland population, you know, Bucks County can get into the World Cup, then surely we can too. You know, this was a, a weird generational gap, I think, where, you know, when you had Bradenton and you had all these guys going down to Florida and being in a central academy and now the, the individual MLS teams trying to do it themselves, there's a gap of three, four, five, six years of where these academies were being built and installed where a kid like Zach Pfeffer, you know, who was the first union homegrown player of all time, didn't really have anywhere to go. You know, he fell through the cracks. There was no USL team for ho for him to go get minutes at. He played a little bit for Harrisburg. Bethlehem Steel didn't exist. The academy didn't exist. You know, there was no pipeline. The pipeline didn't exist. So you have this gap of five or six years where there's just nowhere for these kids to go. And you see that now. I mean, because this generation of who do we have now in that in that age group? Uh, 
not Zach's age group, but like the, the people behind Dempsey and Bradley and Howard and stuff. We had Darlington Nagby. I mean, Kellen Acosta, maybe there's some names there, but there's really um, not a ton there, but look, we're, we're big enough, you know, that if Trinidad and Tobago population 1.3 million, uh, you know, can, can be competitive, then, then surely we have enough talent to go around. It's disappointing. I think more than anything is that I thought going into this cycle, we didn't have enough youth on the team. Like I, I feel like every time I, I watch a guy like Bradley have to suit up and it feels like there's nobody legitimate to, to back him up. Like the doesn't play last night. Um, the fact that like we didn't have go-to leaders on this team, go-to vets who, who brought not only the leadership of the fire to get their team up for a must-win game, or at least a must-not-lose game, um, like at that point, it, it just felt like wasted wasted minutes that could have been going to younger players. Like After that last cycle, we had Julian Green. Julian Green has, has fallen off the face of the earth. There, there were rumors of guys like Kenny and Zalala, never to be heard from. Yeah. Yeah, there, there are guys who are playing on these these uh, you know the the younger levels that are going was it U twenty one like there were some guys that that look like they could have probably contributed uh, on the senior team. You know Germany did it. Germany did it um, this past year. Like again, this is why I think it's so important that they they really do kind of go with this revolution of things. You know, um, the the more that I I looked into how Germany rebuilt their entire program after 2000, after they finished and last in their group at the World Cup. You know, like it, it really did. It, it took the Bundesliga, the spike of Bundesliga, the day of base, sitting down. And one of the biggest things that they did was they, they kind of went back to basics with, with coaching. They didn't have nearly enough qualified coaches. And by 2015, they had over 28,000 coaches that had the uh, UEFA B license. Like, it, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, it, like, it was... 26 times the amount of coaches with that license that uh, that England had at, at that point. So a lot of it starts with appropriate coaching uh, background and, and getting making coaching affordable. I mean, I took some certain classes last year, and they're kind of cost-prohibitive, and especially if it's not in your neck of the woods, and then you're putting out a couple hundred dollars extra to stay at a hotel because it's an overnight you know, yeah. kind of conference. Like, it, I, I feel like... Even at, at youth levels, it could be club ball, it could be school ball. You know, we don't necessarily set our players up to be successful because our, our coaches, how many times do you have to have a, a, a player say, my coach in high school never played, didn't understand the game? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, and, and look, we're not looking to see uh, school ball kids be the ones to become, you know, the next great player. They're probably not going to be. But, you know, I think it's just part of a systemic issue that we have, like, it's just so multi-tiered, and I, it is very difficult to uh, to kind of see how we're going to get out of it. Yeah, it's just fractured. You know, I mean, what's best for one kid might not be the best for the other kid. And then you have some parents who want their kids to go to college. You know, they want them to go to through the Union Academy and then go to college, and the Union are like, no, we want you to go pro. You know, so there's there's not even one clear path from, from A to B to C. You know, the Philadelphia Union want you to go – Want you to be in their youth setup from the academy to Bethlehem Steel or to Reading, maybe Bethlehem Steel to the senior team. And a parent might say, no, we're going to put him in there at age 12 and then we want him to go to college and get an education. So that's the thing here. I mean, you're t- everybody's got a different uh, path and a different outcome that they're looking for. And no matter how, how you feel about the academy model, the fact is that other countries are doing it differently. You know, we can afford to let kids play football and then go to college from age 18 to 22 and then enter the NFL at age 23 because we're the only 
you know, country in the world that, that plays at that high of a level, you know, so we can afford to do it. But all of a sudden, if Germany wanted to play American football also, they might do things differently with an academy model, then they'd be able to challenge us. So I don't know. It, it, the, the thinking has to be different from top to bottom. Now, people say, you know, the failure of this is going to, like, affect the popularity of soccer. I don't believe that at all. I mean, last night was an indictment on U.S. soccer, you know, not the, the popularity of the sport in this country. I mean, Atlanta United is still putting 70,000 people in that stadium. Philadelphia Union are still having 12,000 to 15,000 people coming down there to watch a terrible team. So it's, it's not, it doesn't say it sets back us soccer and it sets, and you know, it sets back the, the common person's perception of the game, but we got enough people now who watch champions league, who watch MLS, who watch premier league, who watch El Clasico, you know, all that stuff that that's not going anywhere. Most of these people who are, who are, you only watch the world cup, watch it because there's nothing else to watch anyway. You know, they watch a little bit of baseball, but they're bored in July so that they cut. So they watch a world cup and they say, rah, rah, United States. And then that's it. They go back to whatever they were doing. You know, I, I don't think you really have to necessarily worry about that person. Plus it's not like the world cup is the super bowl of soccer. Any, anyway, everybody knows that the champions league is the more competitive competition with the better players and the, the better final, you know, the world cup is a national thing. You know, there's players, you know, on small on, from small countries who get into the World Cup who wouldn't sniff the Champions League. So I think that casual fan thinking of that is just kind of, you know, a little bit off. You know, when you when we tell all these people that the World Cup is the Super Bowl, we're doing everybody a disservice because it's really not. Yeah, it's a fair point. It is. It is funny though if you uh, if you sit back if you enjoy watching the world burn a little bit, you've got to wonder how the Fox execs are feeling watching last night fall apart. They're watching a game on PN Sports. <laughs> Yeah. But he tweeted out, BN Sports takes down uh, Fox Sports. Fox spent $400 million on the rights to the 2018 <laughs> World Cup. And now it, it's got to pretty much be like all focused on the Mexican national team at this point, right? Like everything's got to be L3. Like I, don't know, I, I, like I don't know how else you can focus your coverage at this point. It, that, you kind of yeah. have to tap into that, right? Well, you still, I mean, look, it, it, the, the coverage is still going to be, why isn't the United States here? And they're going to be talking about the same things that you and I are talking about now. But people are still going to tune in just because it's a World Cup. You know, and you got enough soccer fans in this country now that you don't need to rely on the, the average four-for-four four guy to get the ratings to where they are. I mean, they're still going to do good. They're still going to make a lot of money. It's still going to be an interesting tournament. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously not having the United States there is a huge blow to them. But guess what? They're going to broadcast it anyway, and they're going to live. You know, shit happens. So, um, you know, to me, I think the biggest takeaway here trying to – trying to look at it from a, from a positive standpoint. It's like, you know, sometimes you don't realize, sometimes you can't rebuild something until you go all the way down to the bottom, you know, like I'm not going to replace my truck. I could keep making, you know, changing the oil and, uh, you know, repairing flat tires and, you know, patching them and shit like this. But until the, the bottom falls out of the damn thing, I'm not getting a brand new car, you know? So I think people now realize that shit this happened, you know, it actually happened. So where do we go from here? I mean, I think it's a wake up call in a sense that, you know, it's like the inevitable finally happened. Okay. Now we're really, really going to get serious about it. Whereas everybody had all these concerns before, you know, cause they were like, well, can Jurgen get us beyond this? Can Bruce arena get us beyond this? Who's going to be the coach beyond that? Those questions were always there, you know, but now we actually have to address them instead of kicking the can down the road. I mean, now it's here. And I think that's a positive. We got to do this now or else we're going to look like a bunch of idiots. I mean, the the only thing I can think now for Fox Exec is going to have to be pitting the uh, the stars against each other. Everything's going to be like Ronaldo coverage, Messi coverage. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
which is which is going to kind of be funny. It's almost going to be like a parody of what uh, of what the World Cup was meant to be, anyway. Um, no, I forgot what I was going to say. No, listen, I got another point here. I think it was funny how some people are saying like, "Well, you know, we deserve this because we voted for Donald Trump." and the Mexican players were motivated to play against the United States, and Honduras was motivated against the play, to play against the United States. Well, guess what? If you're, not, if you're not motivated to play against your rivals in World Cup qualifying, then you shouldn't be on the field anyway. I mean, what extra motivation could Mexico possibly have to come to Columbus and beat the United States anyway? You don't deserve to wear the shirt if you've got to look at that kind of angle of it and make it a dumb political thing or whatever. Because there's a picture from before that game where the Mexican players and the American players are all standing arm in arm anyway so don't give me that bullshit that it's some like donald trump related thing because everybody who has got a chance to go to the world cup which is any football player any soccer player's dream should be motivated enough as it is but have we have we found out uh what michael bradley and omar gonzalez and the boys are registered as are they registered republicans democrats because you know you, you could take it as far as to say that maybe this was their own form of protest they just decided that yeah they were so upset about potential russian interference <laughs> in the election that they said you know what this is uh, how we're going to boycott going to russia we're just not going to qualify well now uh, now all those guys thankfully can can shut the fuck up and you know just focus on whatever you know i wasn't inspired by by anybody's performance last night and you know some people came out and said some things about it. i think jeff cameron's probably the only republican on the team but you know at least i think finally we can get beyond that crap and just say look in summation you know we didn't qualify for the world cup because we're in a transitional phase that affects both u.s soccer and mls you know there's a generational gap that's partly due to a broken development system that we need to fix you know we have 300 million people in this country uh, but we shouldn't be losing to a tiny island uh, island nation like Trinidad and Tobago. But at the same time, we have to understand that those countries are getting better as well. And our, it's our, the growth of our league that's doing it. So, I mean, if you think about that, there's you can find a silver lining and a positive in each one of those things. But um, I just think this was this was necessary. You know, I think you just blow the whole thing up. Fire Sunil Galati. Fire Bruce Arena. I'd like to keep Bruce around in some uh, capacity just because he's, he's a guy that I do – trust and who knows his team in and out he does have a lot of good things to pass on had a lot of good years with u.s soccer and mls as well but i think you just need new blood and a new direction in there i would just wipe out the whole thing top to bottom what would you do if john hackworth uh got promoted john hackworth <laughs> uh wouldn't that just be apropos of being a uh, yeah. being a union fan watching that happen watch it unfold well it's like the it's like tab ramos's name came out or something i don't want tab ramos you know, in, in charge of that. I don't want Caleb Porter. I don't want, I, don't, I really don't want anybody besides Bruce who's had any involvement in the setup, you know, in recent years, because those people all failed at what they did. We didn't qualify for a couple Olympic games. We failed to fa- qualify for a youth world cup, you know? So I don't, I don't know if I want any of those people touching this product. A guy I like is Oscar Pereja. You know, I see Dallas head coach. They're not doing so well now. They're kind of slumping, but he was a guy that I had pegged to replace Bruce. Um, you know, when this whole thing started, um, you know, I think he's a guy who understands young players and knows how to deploy them and give them confidence and, you know, set them up in a way to win. And he's, he's half, well, you know, he's been in America long enough that he understands the American player, but he's still a foreigner technically. So I don't know, just something new, something different. I don't know what it is less than 24 hours after it, but I just, I'm, I've just had enough of the same old shit, you know? Yeah. Let me flip this back around on you really quick. So this might just be the, uh, the Philadelphia fan in me, um, I'm used to enjoying watching losing uh, if it means that we're going to get some kind of change 
looking at it 24 hours later, I feel almost like this is uh, the end of the Chip Kelly era. Uh, we could even argue that it's the uh, the start of the process. Do we <laughs> do we look at this now? And and as much as it hurts and as much as we hate it, is it the best thing that could have happened to U.S. soccer? Is not qualifying and realizing that you're going to be held accountable by by the fans of the nation? Is this really the best thing that could have happened? to uh, U.S. soccer, because I think if not, uh, you know, we, we probably would have been stuck in the same toxic cycle. So that's my first question to you. And the second one is, do you think they'll actually do anything about it? Will they actually overhaul the entire process, or are they going to continue to go back to the same old well? Well, I mean, yeah, the first question makes a lot of sense. And, and I mean, there are comparisons to the Sixers here, to the process, because the thing that people forget was that the, the whole point of the process was not to just improve the Sixers and get them back into the playoffs, you know, because they were an eighth seed and a seventh seed that was bound for first round playoff elimination every year. The whole point of the process was to assemble a core of two or three guys that could get you to a championship. You know, if you asked any Eagles fan out there, if you said to them, look, I'm going to give you seven straight years of losing, but in the eighth year, you're going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, don't you think most people would take that? Yeah, likely. That was always the argument when they would lose the NFC Conference Championship, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, was, it was the idea of, like, bottom out, but please just give me a Super Bowl because I can't handle the heartbreak of, yeah. you know, being right there. <laughs> and that's why I can't – I was, like, process neutral. I didn't – I wasn't, you know, gaga over the whole fucking thing. I didn't talk about it every five seconds. But I understood the concept of it, and I, and I thought it was smart, especially in a town – that only wants championships. You know, Philadelphia fans should be able to appreciate that more than anybody. You know, we've had one uh, parade here since 1983. So I think if you're willing to, the, the mindset is that anything that's not first place is shit, you know? And yeah, we would have went to the World Cup in Russia. Maybe we would have got out of the group stage. Maybe we would have got knocked out in like the first round again or something, you know, a first part of the knockout round. And then we're just asking ourselves the questions like, well, this is what we've done for the last three World Cups. So I don't know. I'm not saying that this gets us over that hump, but at least it, it allows us to take a step back and see what we have to do to get there, you know, because otherwise you're just kind of treading water. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to be at the World Cup, but, uh, you know, I, I'd trade two steps back for three steps forward any day of the week. Yep, it's better than just barely sneaking into the playoffs as like an AFC, right? Um, I'm looking, you know, first of all, I, I – Empathize with the uh, the people who uh, or empathize, I guess, with the people who are also Philadelphia Bowl fans who are offended that you did not point out their parade. <laughs> I think they had when they won the Arena Bowl. The other thing is, I'm looking at a picture of Christian uh, Christian Pulisic right now, um, devastated after the win. Do you think he gets the captain's armband? Like, are, is it is it too early in his career because he's so young? Does he need a couple more years before they consider making such a switch? Does Bradley end up? you know, wearing the armband for the next few years. Like, what What are your thoughts? No, I mean, I would just, I would cut ties immediately with Tim Howard and Clint Dempsey and Michael Bradley and, uh, you know, the Beaslers and the Zussies and the Chris Wondolowskis of this world. I mean, I would just go super young because you're not going to play anything meaningful any, a, anyway. I mean, what, what, do we, what do we need them for at this point? You know, for the Gold Cup? Uh, for whatever friend, crap friendlies we're playing next week? I mean... If you can cobble together the core now and understand that we're not playing in the World Cup for another, you know, five years minimum, 
um, then you have a large chunk of time to assemble this young core. And the 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, if you start them now, are going to be 23, 24, and 25 by the time Qatar comes around, assuming we're still playing the tournament in Qatar. You know, so start now. Start now. I mean, I, I don't... I don't need to see any more of Michael Bradley. I don't need to see any more of Clint Dempsey. I mean, I love what those guys have done for this team over the years, but um, that time is over, and there's nothing wrong with saying that. Yeah, it's fair. It, it, it feels like a very disappointing, uh, whimpering way for those guys to go out, especially after the way that the last cycle ended. Like It, it felt like with the right infusion of talent that Dempsey and Bradley and, and Howard should have been able to go off at least in a competitive Cup cycle. Yeah. So I do. I do feel a little bit bad for them. I'm. Uh, I will not feel bad for Josie Altidore. I think he might be my least favorite player um, <laughs> on the national team. I hate the way that he plays the game. Um, he, I think, is the, the most frustrating player that we have. Um, he's just. I, I can never get over the fact that it, it looks like Josie does not play a physical game. Like I feel like CJ Sapong plays a better better role for, for what I would expect Josie to play. Um, God, he's only 27, which means he'll probably be in in the ranks for the next cycle, would be my guess. Yeah, I guess. I, I don't with, – with Josie, I just – you know, the knock on him is that he's never been able to be – he's never really there when you need him. You know, I mean, he scored some big goals for this country. You know, he's had some great games, but um, he's just got to be that stone-cold fucking killer that this team has been missing for a long time. So I don't know. You do have a couple of those tweeners there. I don't know what you do with them, but I wouldn't be opposed to seeing Tim Tim Howard get one more cap as sort of like an honorary farewell kind of thing. But we just got to admit to ourselves that these guys ain't the future right now. You know, you got the Josh Sargents of the world, Weston McKenney, uh, Christian Pulisic. I mean, Kellen Acosta is still young. I mean, I would just go with those guys. A lot of the young guys who are playing in Germany right now and – just put it together because I've I've you know I've I've seen enough, man. After last night's performance, I don't know how many of these guys deserve to wear the shirt anymore. I totally agree. I, I said this morning the only I've never come close to burning a jersey before, but I, I was so close on Michael Bradley. I found, <laughs> I found his lack of leadership and his just lack of of creativity, his lack of ability to control the midfield at all was was just so so frustrating. Again, after last cycle. Uh, God, he, he just looks like he fell off a cliff. I guess that's what happens when you fall out of favor with Romy. You stop playing abroad and, and you yeah. come back. And, and like, look, I, I get the argument that MLS has made other countries' players better, but Michael's, uh, Michael Bradley's level of play, I, I feel like, has just fallen off uh, maybe more drastically than anybody else. The guy who was trending upward in so many ways just pretty much disappeared on us. Well, I'm just disappointed. I think the thing with Bradley was that I was disappointed that he went from Roma back to MLS. I thought he still had a few good years uh, left in Europe before he could have he could have come back to MLS whenever he wanted to. So that that's my thing with him. You know, you go from uh, you know Munchen or uh, Heronvian to Munchen Gladbach to uh, Kievo to Roma, and then all of a sudden you're back in Toronto. You know, it just felt like he cut it short. Um, Anyway, speaking of cutting it out, we're going up to uh, 30 minutes. I get the feeling that you and I could do this all day long, but uh, we don't want to drag drag anybody uh, into our into our misery any any further here. Uh, last words, I'm going to give them to you. Um, hey, it's going to get better. If you're listening, you're listening to this right now. You're probably mourning just like the rest of us are. Go listen to the Taylor Twelman rant if you haven't, you know, done so already. If you haven't had it playing on loop for the last like I don't know 16 hours, then uh. Go give it a listen. It'll, it'll really help you. Uh, fill, up, 
a bathtub, uh, maybe get your favorite uh, adult beverage or even a, an orange juice if you, if you are so inclined at night, which I think I would be very worried. If somebody's uh, having a juice at night, um, you might actually need help. But just take a moment and, and relax and think about all the great things that U.S. soccer is totally going to do for you in the next four years. I, I, I do think that if, if Galati is not fired or does not resign, that it, it's going to uh, have to reach the winger out level uh, in U.S. soccer. I, oh. I am very interested to see how these, uh, these divorces work out and who gets custody of Felicity. Here's my final take. Sometimes you got to burn it to the ground before you can build it back up. And I'm taking two steps back to get three steps forward any day of the week. Uh, trust the process, U.S. soccer. It's always sunny. It's always sunny. Yeah, Jesus Christ. It's always <laughs> That's the second time I said this. Now, I said that when we tried to do the first take, didn't I? That's how bad it is. You're looking for sunshine on a cloudy day. When it's cold outside, we'll have the month of May. <laughs> Listen, I'll leave it at that. Kevin Kincaid, Russell Joy from Crossing Broad. Listen to him on the Crossing Broadcast every morning with Kyle and Adam. It's good stuff. I start my day. Uh, every day with that, not just because I work there, but because I do truly enjoy the podcast. But check it out if you haven't. And as always, we uh, thank all of our loyal listeners on the It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia podcast. For Baxter the Dog, I'm Kevin. We'll see you later.